Hey, welcome back to the Stacks of Cash podcast. Got Jay Cohen here with me today. Um, you know, in our industry, we've been getting a lot of questions recently about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which we think are super important. But in order to understand it, you really got to know what currency is and what money is. And so what we want to do is walk you through kind of not the history of currency, but we are going to go back in time. And you're going to see that history does repeat itself over and over again. So Jay, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> and tell me, what is currency? Well, that's a good question, David. You know, I think to really understand what currency is, you have to sort of step back in time and think about what what was the barter system, right? So, so maybe you had a farmer that grew wheat and you had a baker who wanted to make bread and they would barter for what the other person did. The baker needed the wheat and he was willing to give a certain amount of bread to the farmer to get the wheat. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of uh, the elementary school lunchroom table where I have a pack of Gushers and I'm going to trade it with my friend who has a chocolate snack pack. And we thought that was a fair trade. Yeah, it's a trade, right? <laughs> yeah. And so so, so over time, people got kind of you know, sophisticated, and they, they started to identify things that would be a, a, a medium of exchange that people attributed a certain fixed value to. And that, that's, that's what became ultimately currency. And so when you look back, you know, 40,000 years ago mm -hmm. when there were cavemen, they would trade flint tools and flint weapons, and that became a currency. And then if you, you know, accelerate, you know, further up mm -hmm. the food chain here, 5,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, they created a thing called the shekel, mm -hmm. and that became a form of currency. And in the United States, uh, and the, really the, one of the first known currencies was in 1690, and it was a, a currency created by the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and I believe it was what, Dave? Yeah, I mean, when I was looking into that, they were trying to fund some military expeditions. And so what they were trying to do is raise some raise some funds, raise some funds to go on these expeditions. So um, you can see over time here that, uh, you know, the currency is really just a store of value. It's a store of value, exactly, 100%. So, so when you think about store value, Dave, why do consumers – lose confidence in currency as a store of value? Well, there's many reasons why somebody or a population would lose confidence in a currency. And, and, you know, the first one that comes to mind is heavy money printing. The governing power who is in charge of uh, controlling that currency gets a little over their skis and starts printing it more than they probably should. And that leads to excessive deficit spending. I mean, you can't really have a, a currency and lose confidence in it without excessive deficit spending. And just period. And so, and then the last thing is when you do that and you have excessive um, spending, definitely big deficits, that's going to lead to inflation. And so, Jay, if we kind of tie it back to today and you look at the deficit spending, where does that money come from? And who's, who, who, where does it come from? Who's in charge of that? Yeah, that's a great question. 
And, and it's one, by the way, that has been a battle royale really over thousands of years where, and we're getting a little bit ahead here, but where, where the people in power decided they wanted to spend more money than they could collect in tax receipts, they created deficits, and they had to figure out ways to fund those deficits. Mm-hmm. And so they would make up money. That That's the really the root of the entire situation is they will make up money to fund deficits. And it's this making up money that devalues the value of that money and therefore the prices of the things you're exchanging for go up in value, right? So, so if there are $1,000 out there in the currency circulation mm-hmm. and I double the amount of dollars that are out there just by printing them, then in theory, the value of what you and I are trying to exchange with each other has to double in value just to kind of keep right. everything in equilibrium. Exactly. And so what you're saying there is, in this scenario, it's not tied to a specific value, like gold, for example. That's exactly right. So that's known as fiat currency. Mm-hmm. And fiat means it is what it is because I declare it is <laughs> what it is. Right. And that, that's what the U.S. Right. government and all governments nowadays are doing because currencies around the world are not on uh they're not they're not backed by some physical thing the value is what it is because they say it is so so let's look for a moment at what's going on in the united states and really globally we'll use the u.s as an example because everyone hears about the federal reserve bank because they control interest rates it's also you know our federal reserve bank is a central bank there's the European Central Bank. There's the Bank of Japan. There's the, the, the Bank of England. These are all central banks, okay? Our central bank is called the Federal Reserve. So what happens is this. The U.S. government, through Congress, passes a budget, and they spend money. The Treasury collects taxes from the population and from corporations, and usually the government spends more than what they bring in. And to fund those deficits, the Treasury sells bonds and notes and short-term securities. Well, who buys them? Ah, good question. Good question. Well, sometimes investors buy them, Mm -hmm. but also the central bank can get involved and they can buy them. So the Federal Reserve, through just a journal entry, because the Federal Reserve is empowered with regulating the currency and they can regulate that by either selling securities that they already own or buying securities in the open market. And so one of the things that they'll do is they'll, quote, buy bonds from the Treasury. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how we get to, quote, money printing. Right. Okay? And that's ultimately is what leads to the devaluation of the currency, and it's why prices go up. Okay? So we've, we have always had inflation in the United States. We've had periods of really rapid inflation, never hyperinflation like some countries like Venezuela, but prices go up because we continue to print more of the money, okay? So so that's a little bit about what fiat currency is and, and, and the role the central bank plays. Yeah, and so just teeing up the conversation of alternate forms of currency, 
Um, I think that's important for our listeners to know just currently where we are with the current deficit and how that is accelerating over the last three years. I mean, if you look at 2019, we've had a de- we had a deficit of 984 billion dollars. It's a big yeah. number. Yeah. You look in 2020 during the pandemic, that was 3.7 trillion. That is such a big jump from 19 to 2020. Big jump. Huge. And then you look at 2021, which we're in right now, and we're already at 2.1 trillion dollars. So with that as a backdrop, and what we mentioned a little bit earlier about people losing confidence in a currency. I'm not saying that people are totally lost on the confidence of the U.S. dollar. I'm certainly not saying that. But with that as a backdrop, it gives rise to people to look elsewhere for, for other, other means of currency. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Because, again, remember, currency is, to a degree, a store of value, right? Mm-hmm. And so I do want to come back to the deficit for just a moment sure. and, and, and make one clarifying point for those people listening that may not know the difference between the two, the deficit is the annual difference between how much income has come in versus how much money has gone out. That's an annual number. The debt is the cumulative of all the years of deficits since our country has been in existence. So we're on, we're on, we're on a path to have a total debt of $30 trillion. And that's just what's recorded. There's a lot of other obligations that aren't even recorded. So so the question becomes, you know, how long can we get away with this? And what history has shown is, uh, is that governments throughout the course of time have been unable to manage themselves effectively in terms of spending really what they could afford to spend. And ultimately, the people in power become weak, corrupted, and ultimately what happens is they manipulate the currency in one form or another. For, you know, like yeah. the Roman Empire, right, Dave? Yeah, the Roman Empire, which is just absolutely fascinating. You know, they used to trade silver, coin, uh, sil- silver gold, pieces of meteorite, um, copper, and then, and then the, the government they decided, you know what, we can use these precious metals and we can just stamp them and make them all uniform. That way we can control the minting. They're durable. Everybody's on the same page. And we as the government have more power to tax. And it's just a lot easier to control. Right. And so that happens over and over again in the course of history. So one of the one of the ways the Roman Empire devalued their currency, right? they, they couldn't just print more necessarily because it wasn't paper they right. didn't have electronics but you know what they did they What's would that? they would collect the gold coins and they would melt them down and they would add alloys to them so they could create more coins so like literally devalue <laughs> yeah, the gold right. <laughs> well, that's pretty that's good that's how they did it oh man okay. that's how the roman empire that was one way in which they created and we all know ultimately what happened to the Roman Empire. And so so if you kind of carry that forward a little bit throughout time, for various reasons, we're not going to bore you with all the specifics, but, but currencies frequently were backed by a physical asset, and this physical asset typically was gold. Mm-hmm. 
And so, Dave, what what kind of was going on with gold? And you know, it's, we're not backed by gold anymore. Why not? Well, I, I think that when our country started, we had good intentions to be on the gold standard, is what they say it. Uh, that's that's what it's called. And like many other governments, is that you you have so much currency outstanding that's backed to gold or some other store of value, and then something happens out of out of left field. And in this case, it was World War, World War One. And basically what happened is we needed more money to pay for the war. And so that was the first step that the United States got off the gold standard. It happened again in the Great Depression. And then it happened finally for good in the 1970s. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, this isn't just endemic to the United States. I was reading before we were you know, getting ready for the podcast here. There was a guy who oversaw the currency in the U.K., and he had a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. because he was con- so concerned about the, the 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 breaking apart, if you will, of the amount of gold that was backing their currency. Right. So this was this was something that do- didn't just occur here in the United States, but the gold standard existed to ensure that the value of the currency had some type of stable value, and it was the weakness of the leaders, the people in power and wars that led to the need to create more currency, which devalued the currency and created this problem. So it also led to some financial panics and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. But what's interesting is, Dave, when you start to think about currency, and again, you know, it's a medium of exchange. It's just what makes barter easy. Um, there's there's a new there's a new thing on the horizon here. There's there, a new thing on the horizon. It's getting a lot of attention. Dave. Yeah, it's called a cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency. Yes, and unless you've been living definitely under a rock, you you've heard of that term and you've heard of the term Bitcoin. Um, and, and so when you think about what Bitcoin is and what cryptocurrencies are, they are again a store of value. And what Bitcoin does is that you know you have these supercomputers out there. And I'm going to try to keep this at a high level. Okay. Uh, you have supercomputers out there that are running all these massive, massive calculations. And they help uh, the computing power of the chain of custody of a blockchain between one party and another. And they're constantly working around the clock. And it takes a ton of power to get those done. And so in the computing world, um, lending your services and your computer power has a value in that world. And so what they would do is give somebody a Bitcoin. And that became a valuable asset to those in that industry. That's exactly right. So there was a guy out there, I can't remember his name. It's like Natash or Satash, mm-hmm. something, really smart guy. And he kind of created the framework for Bitcoin. And there are a lot of cryptocurrencies out there. Um, but uh, in, in his framework, he said, you know, we're going to do 20 million Bitcoin. That's it. 20 million. And then and then what what happened was there were and the, the reason he had these bitcoin and why people were willing to mine for bitcoin is what they were really doing at a surface level was as you said they lent their computing power to work on the calculations yeah. that that drive the blockchain which is a methodology for ensuring that a chain of custody is transparent and impenetrable. So if you're going to sell me a Gucci uh, watch, 
the blockchain, the calculations that ensure that that Gucci watch, starting at the Gucci manufacturers, indeed a Gucci watch, mm -hmm. there's there's calculations along through the from the manufacturer to the distributor to the retailer to you, right? And you can ensure that what you have is legitimately what you have. So the blockchain ensures that what we say exists, in fact, really exists. And there's a lot of math involved in that. And so to get people incentivized to do those calculations, lend their computing power, these guys said, we'll give you a Bitcoin. Well, guess what's happened? If there's only 20 million Bitcoin, and there are all these calculations that are going on, the value of each Bitcoin gets more and more valuable. Absolutely. Okay, because it takes more and more computing power. Yeah. So... If you and I were sitting in our little lab five years ago and we mined a Bitcoin, we lent our computing power, we have this Bitcoin, and there's someone on the other side of the world who's willing to accept a Bitcoin or some portion of a Bitcoin for something they have that we want. Right. Say they have a chateau yeah. in France. They own a chateau in France. And they believe in Bitcoin, and I believe in Bitcoin, and they're willing to accept the Bitcoin I mind, then that's an exchange of value, right? Voila. That's a currency. That's a currency. Absolutely. So so when you start to hear people say, like, this is a hoax or it's going away, Dave and I are not professing to be experts on each individual cryptocurrency, uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin or any of this stuff. What we're making the argument of is this is that when more and more people are willing to accept a certain store of value as a means of exchange, a medium of exchange, you start to get a currency. Yes. Dave, let me ask you, does this concern anybody? Oh, I know a lot of people this concerns, but probably no more than the Federal Reserve and the federal government. And, and governments, other central banks. And, yeah, and other central banks and other governments, um, because um, what they have is centralized power when it comes to currency. This and bitcoins, especially, is decentralized. So it's really hard to, you know, in the old days, you could just go to war with a country if you didn't like what they were doing with their currency. This, it's spread out throughout the world, and so that's a real challenge for them. Yeah, because there are lots of people whose fingers are in the bitcoin itself. You can't, you can't. It's not manipulatable. It's mm -hmm. all open. It's right. decentralized. There's not, you know, 12 guys sitting in a room saying, hey, we want the money supply to be X. This is decentralized. And so that's why you have China trying to regulate it. That's why you have our central bank saying, oh, it's only used by criminals. As right. though as though, as though, though criminals don't use cash. Of course. Of course not. I mean, I don't <laughs> even understand that. So, but they, but they've, tried to, they've tried to diminish the value that society is placing on cryptocurrency because it's, a, it's an existential threat to central banks. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Absolutely. And I can't help but just thinking back 40,000 years ago, if you think about cryptocurrency, it's, it's a group of people, individuals in a decentralized form, deciding on what a store of value is and a bartering mechanism. If you go back 40,000 years ago with the hunters in the Paleolithic times, they had flint weapons. There's no difference between that 
and today's cryptocurrency. Yeah, and what's fascinating is you have a lot of companies now that are are really built around trying to take, you know, let's say a Bitcoin, which is, you know, it could be one day worth a million dollars. Well, you're not going to take a Bitcoin down to your convenience store to buy a Coke. Right. You'll have an app that's connected to the value of Bitcoin you own, and you just pull off a little tidy splinter mm-hmm. of the Bitcoin you have to be able to buy something. Yeah, we're already getting used to Apple Pay, so it'll be quite easy. <laughs> yeah, it will be quite easy. So so we hope this is, has been uh, eye-opening in terms of the idea of currency, store of value, centralized versus decentralized, and, 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 and really getting your head around the idea that it's not going away. And I'll finish with just these two observations. The state of Texas has uh, made some change in their banking law. I don't know the specifics, but it's going to make it easier for state charter banks to, to deal in cryptocurrency. And El Salvador has done the same thing. And I, and I read just yesterday, they're going to be giving like $30 of cryptocurrency to every one of their citizens. Now, how yeah. they're going to do that, I don't know. But when you start seeing governments and states and large financial institutions recognizing that this is a true currency, I don't think I want to bet on the other side of that. Right. Yeah. It's something to pay attention to, for sure. So, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, Check us out again next time. Hope you have a great weekend. We're out.